Discoverable online with yeah. search engines and so on and such things. Yeah, and if, if there's anything, because that often happens, we forget to say something that we were meaning to say in the episode. Then we can yeah. we can add that into the blog and get it out that way. And then it's more content makes us look even more professional than we already do. That's, that's really the most, the two most important things is professionalism and content. Yes, Those are the and currencies of the 21st century. No, oh, yeah. of course, appearance, that goes without saying. You gotta appear to be professional and have content, and then and, yeah. you're successful. So, also, I've, we've moved over to Anchor, and Anchor's recently yes. updated their, like, stats and whatnot. Oh, yeah? So now, I get to see, sort of, what countries, specifically, people are downloading the show from. Ooh, I'm excited to know what our top... Our number one B positive country is? Unsurprisingly, it's the USA. <laughs> yeah, 58% of our Is that unsurprising? I mean, they listen to all the podcasts. They've got That's true. factories that is just like hundreds of millennials sitting in a, in a work room. They're sweating. They've got their AirPods in. Yeah. And they're just pumping out listens to episodes Cranking at double speed. Content. You just gotta gotta consume, man, and they're being paid nothing for this. No, well, uh, of course they're being paid in exposure. Yeah, by which yeah, I yeah. mean like yeah. re really cold aircon to the point that they get exposure. Some of them do die, but it's a well, it's a risk that the podcast consumption companies are willing to take. If you want an omelet, you have to break a few millennial eggs. Millennials, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then also, like, uh, our second biggest demographic is in is South Africa, 22%. That's, uh, see, that's more listeners. unsurprising. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Yeah. So those are, the, like, the top ones. But then some more surprising things. We've got listeners in Russia. So shout out to the Ruskies. What so, up, Russia? Uh, we've got, but that's, like, less than 1%. So it's a, probably just one It's probably just person. One, one person. That's great. Hey, give us, give us a shout out on Twitter if you are our one singular individual Russian listener at Stay Scary on Twitter. And then also we've got someone in Egypt, which that's oh, dope. Oh, awesome. So we're pretty global, actually. We're hot shit. We're all over the show. We're cross-border, international, jet-setting. Awesome. Thank you so much for that, uh, for that listenership report, Fraser. It's my pleasure. And that brings us to the end of the listener, listener support hour. God, I turned into Sean Connery over there. The listener, the listener support. support. <laughs> uh, bringing us full circle to Be Positive, the positive, positive B-movie podcast. B-movie podcast, perfectly in sync, as always. The most positive place on the internet is what I've called it in the past. Uh, right at the top, I want to apologize to the listeners. I might sound a little bit like uh, a horse ran over me because my throat's a little bit hoarse. Uh, you, you get uh, it? Uh, 
That's a good yeah. one. Yeah, we just lost all those listeners. They're just all like immediately <laughs> beep, clicked off. She's like, cheers. No, can't do it. Cheers, we're out. I'm in Russia, but I'm not listening to this. I'm Fraser. I am Louis. And this week on Be Positive, we are discussing the 1982, am I right? I think so. The 1982 creature feature, The Beast Within. Yes, I think the tables have turned once again. These tables just Mm -hmm. keep on turning. Rotisserie tables. It's a turntable. (laughs) I don't know why I didn't go to turntable for the... For the well, first joke, yeah. yeah well, that's, what I, that's what I'm here for. Yeah. I got your back. <laughs> that's what co-hosting's all about. Oh, yeah. This this week, I suspect I might be the, the less enthusiastic one uh, when it oh, comes yeah. to The Beast Within. I love this. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> well, that's good. That's good, because I did not. <laughs> nice. Um, you and everyone who rated it online, you're not alone. Great, okay. I'm with the consensus. Yeah, yeah. You and all the critics. You critics. I mean, you just don't the understand. The other critics. We're very critical as well. And I will try and be spooky and pedantic about awesome. this film in just a little while. So why don't you hit us up, seeing as how you didn't enjoy it all that much, hit us oh. up with a plot synopsis. Man, are you really going to make me do this? Okay. Oh, yeah. So a newlywed couple drives down the road. The husband drives into a ditch. And it seems to be on purpose because he really could have just made a normal three-point turn. Yeah, he like really goes for that ditch. While he goes to the gas station to get someone to tow them, the woman is uh, brutally raped by Uh. some kind of monster. Um, Not Mm -hmm. the Metallica song. I'm just saying that... The monster is vague and ambiguous. Yeah. 17 years later. Is what the monster is. Yeah. He has squishy feet. We know that. I guess that's all we know about him at that point. 17 years later, this couple now have a child who is unfortunately the product of this rape. He's in the hospital. He's not feeling well, but they can't figure out what's wrong with him. He starts getting visions about this town and eventually escapes the hospital, goes to the town, and wreaks havoc (laughs) yeah (laughs) he goes on a crazy killing spree um he's not entirely in control of it because somehow through the monster rape situation the monster's soul has been transferred into michael the kid so he is becoming the reincarnation of this monster who wants to take revenge on all the people who wronged him in this small town. Yeah. Eventually, he he transforms fully, and he becomes a squishy man. Yes. I guess that's that's the correct term. That's the preferred terminology, squishy man. Uh, well, technically, he is a wear cicada. A wear cicada. Oh. Yes. But I'll get I'll get into why I say that because that's only me saying that. But then also. Um, it fully I, makes I sense mean, I think you may have home. a point, yeah. Yeah, he goes full monster. We have the big scene where everyone's trying to get him. He's trying to get everyone. Guns are blazing, and he gets really shot. He gets very shot. Who's the one that pulls it? His mom. It's his mom that ends his uh, reign of terror. But at that point, yeah. he is no longer the entity known as her son. 
he has been fully yeah, no, taken he over. Yeah, absolutely transformed. And while all of this is going on, he's also, he's, he's finding love with this girl, Amanda, and he tries to protect her from his uh, beast within. Yeah. Oh, credits. But yeah, eventually he can't, he can't control it anymore. Yeah, and he does end up raping her, thus continuing oh. the cycle. Yeah, we've got bookend rape scenes in this film. Uh, when I first watched the trailer, it was like, this is a movie about rape. And it starts with a rape and it ends with a rape. And I was like, okay, cool. So, um, you know, I, I sort of strapped myself in to see something really shocking and really graphic and just all around upsetting but the rapes were not done in a very graphic way no um you're right and the rape scenes are also quite short so it's uh they don't linger on the rape yeah no that is that is true that i quite enjoyed them not lingering on that because traditionally films dealing with rape make me very uncomfortable oh yeah Especially, I think, in that time period, they really enjoyed taking a good long look at it. Or, you know, yeah, at least in some yeah. of the B-films and, like, exploitation films and stuff like that. Yeah, it was kind of fetishized in a way, in a freaky, upsetting way. Yeah. I guess it's, it's just such an easy shorthand to say, like, oh, this is a bad dude, is to... So, uh, let's just have him rape someone. Yeah, but yeah, uh, of course like that's not the case away. in this here. It, it's about like progenizing the next uh, generation of squishy men. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, them squishy men gotta live. So a couple of things that were quite interesting to me in this film is that first of all, Michael is being possessed by his father Billy, uh, yeah. who was the original. Or at least from what we can see, he was the original Squishy Man. And Billy's spirit is urging Michael along to wreak vengeance upon the Kerwin family. The Kerwins, yes. as we discover later, having uh, one of the Kerwin men discovered that Billy was having an affair uh, with Mrs. Kerwin or whatever. Sure. And... I don't really know what he did with his... He murders his wife, <laughs> and then he feeds his wife to Billy, right? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Because he keeps Billy in the basement. He keeps him chained up in the basement. He starves Billy, and then eventually he puts his wife's corpse in there, and then, you know, Billy, driven mad by hunger, is overcome with the, the terrible hunger, and he devours this corpse, and then... From that point on, the Kerwins start feeding Billy grave-robbed corpses from the morgue. Yeah, because one of the Kerwins is an undertaker, is or a mortician or something. Yeah, or he's a cousin or something. And another one of the Kerwins, um, the brother of this evil dude, is the mayor slash judge. And you know a town is going places if the mayor and the judge are the same position. You know, when there's only like two families in the whole town, it's a bustling community. Stable genetic stock is what <laughs> I use. Stable. Say. Very stable. It's noted that Billy does have some sort of connection to the cicadas and the beasts of the, the woods and the swamp. And he can, they kind of come at his call. Yeah, every time he gets overwhelmed by Billy's presence or possession or commands we hear a really loud synth cicada synth cicada um, and he, yeah. he's like deafened by it and it's yeah. sort of a painful sound for him and in fact at one point the old man that he attacks hears the cicadas too 
Like, so other people hear his head noises. Yeah, yeah. So it's what? not that the cicadas are in his mind. It's that whenever Billy's go... presence is near, uh... he summons the cicadas to him. Okay. So it's an actual pheromonal or psychic response. Okay. That's sort of the, the trigger for Billy taking control of Michael as the cicadas assault Michael in an audio sense. He drops his psychic guard and Billy, you know, gets to take over and become the pilot of their awful little father-son reunion adventure. So a couple of interesting things. First off, He's aware Cicada because the fact that 17 years passes between Billy and Michael is very important because there's a species of Cicada that is actually that spends 13 to 17 really? years in its larval state underground and then it'll pop out en masse, uh, the adult nymphs coming out and then they will just devour everything so it's one of those apocalyptic swarms of bugs yeah and they're just also like really loud loud and irritating it's actually called the magus cicada the the magus magic magic it's an american species um and yeah they like pop out and for three to six weeks they wreak havoc and then they all die and then 17 Years later, it happens again. You know, that's sort of what's happening. And that's why this were cicada is going on this rampage. It's, it's feeding, it's building itself up so it can fully yeah. mature from its nymph state, which would be Michael, into its full adult form, which is Squishy Man. And then it is driven yeah. to procreate. So we, ha we have to assume that Amanda, uh, Michael's love interest, slash main victim in this film. Yeah, so, so yeah, slash victim. Yeah. yeah, mainly victim. Damn, man, Amanda is a victim of just about every dude in this film. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, she never gets a break. No, we'll talk about her character in a second, but then she then becomes the host for the next generation. Yeah. Um, and I interestingly, though, this sort of lycanthropic creature, instead of having a silver bullet as its main weakness mm -hmm. uh, that can destroy its, its, its line. Obviously, if you shoot it in the head with a shotgun, this thing dies, but... Uh, my only weakness! <laughs> shotgun to the head! <clears throat> How did you yeah. know? <laughs> uh, it's a one in a million chance. But the main weakness or, or the silver bullet for this creature would be abortion. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, Amanda just needs to take some plan B the next morning and then... Yeah, that's it. Everything like, will be okay. One time. But then, if you, if you think about the sort of small town environment she was in, it, it seemed like it could potentially be... This is never touched on in the film, but it could potentially be very uh, religious, very yeah. conservative. Well, yeah, and, and her then, father is also, like, incredibly controlling and violent he yes. like hardly he's even lets leave the house or anything but he's dead he's also very dead oh right yeah he is incredibly dead so i mean she's free to be her own woman now but I i'm also not sure about the laws in mississippi as a state in the 80s whether abortion was legal at all or if you're a if you're a mississippian 
who was around in the 80s. Tweet at us. Let us know. At Stay Scary on Twitter. Mississippi. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. How, how, that's how, that's, that's what you would call it, nice. right? A, a Mississippian? A Mississippian? Uh, a Mississippian. A Mississippian. A Mississip? Anyway. Cor- a Mississip? A Sippy? <laughs> Correct us on Twitter because we are wrong. I can't even spell Mississippi. In my notes, every time I'm like, does it really have six S's? Does it have six S's and two P's? How many M's is there in Mississippi? I don't even know. It's a very <laughs> tough word. It's impossible to know. Yeah, <laughs> it's just one of those things. Um, another thing is that this film has a, a very cosmic horror sort of fear of the unknown Lovecraftian element to it. So I actually, I was alerted to this by the character of The Undertaker. Dexter name Ward. Is Dexter Ward. Exactly. And I was what immediately I was like. Up. Fucking Lovecraft wrote a story, The Case of Charles Dexter Ward, yes. which is very much referenced in this film, not just in, in The Undertaker's name. That's a great story. That's uh, one of my favorites by H.P. Lovecraft. And yeah, so there's, there's Dexter Ward referencing Charles Dexter Ward. Um, isn't there also a Lovecraft story with um, a Kerwin main character or a family of Kerwins? So, I'm sure there is. In the case of Charles Dexter Ward, it follows Charles Dexter Ward. Well, no, it doesn't yes. follow him, but the stories about him is sort of the doctor that's investigating his life because C.D. Ward has, you know, he's disappeared. So what happens is that Charles discovers that he has this ancestor called Joseph Kerwin, who yes. was like a wealthy sailor dude, but also happened to be a powerful necromancer slash all-around evil guy. Coincidentally. So he then goes, coincidentally. So he then goes to find the grave of his ancestor, Joseph Kerwin, where Joseph Kerwin was killed by an angry mob way back when in a raid or whatever they called it. And then what happens is that Charles Dexter Ward manages to summon Joseph Kerwin's spirit, who then kills Charles Dexter, Dexter Ward because they look very much alike. And yeah, they keep place. commenting on that, on their very close uh, resemblance in the story. But yes, yeah, yeah so he takes uh, Charles's place. As in The Beast Within, the ancestor takes the place of the modern, you know, heir to the bloodline. So yeah. where Billy takes Michael's place by becoming Squishy Man, uh, Joseph Kerwin <laughs> takes Charles Dexter Ward's place by pretending to be him and then trying to build up his powers once again. And I get, there's also a similarity in what Joseph Kerwin was doing in his weird basement underground secret lair where there, there are un, unspeakable, indescribable abominations trapped or held captive in the bunker, in the underground lair that that have been trapped there for decades by the time that Ward discovers this. And I think yeah. maybe Squishy Man, the design of Squishy Man is inspired by that. Or, or at the very least, the, the transformation into Squishy Man, which is like 15 minutes long. It's a really long transformation scene. Oh, yeah. And they go through various prosthetics, uh, some of them being more effective than others and weird like darting tongue snake. Yeah, they've got the, uh, which the is... bubbling skin, the weird horny growths. 
Yeah, that's yeah. that was pretty that was pretty awful. That's like some real transgression of the body's limits. Yeah. That's awful. And that's that's something we see often in cosmic horror is also the body horror, the violation of of the physical laws that govern the human body. Yeah, uh, that sort of thing because it's very much like what the fuck's happening? I really don't want my body to do this thing, so now I'm scared. Yeah. Sort of situation. And what is also often happens is that the person is not scared that that is exactly what they want. They feel like they're yeah transcending. They're going beyond what what was previously possible, and this is the new form of humanity. Referencing from beyond. Yes. Which is another brilliant <laughs> uh, Lovecraftian movie. But then the actor who plays Michael, Paul Clements, in the scenes where he's transforming or he's undergoing the psychic torment and he's screaming and it's very physical and he's like freaking out, he is acting superbly. But then in the scenes where he's quote unquote being normal, uh, yeah, <laughs> he's so wooden and he can't do it that well. So it's like he, yeah. his, his acting is limited to freaking out. And then he's got that little bit of wooden, like, oh, I don't really know what's going on. Not no, believable person. Um, but it could also just have been a, a conscious decision to seem out of it and to yeah. seem like his personality is just a front, in a way, Because that, that does work in the sense that, you know, throughout they're talking about Michael's illness, that it's, you know, made him kind of anemic and pale and not entirely himself so we can definitely read it as part of that another thing that i found really interesting concerning the relationships in this film is that eli michael's i guess technical father not his biological father uh um, his um you know stepdad his mother's husband his adoptive father his stepdad yeah so eli is intensely protective of Michael and he also is delusional and in denial about the fact yeah. that Michael is not his actual son. But he does at one point say it doesn't matter what Michael's biological parentage is, he's his son, which is a kind of progressive way to look at it. No, it is, I mean, it's, it's very sweet. Yeah. And it would have been great in like literally any other context where, you know, Michael's real dad wasn't a squishy man. Yeah, yeah. Um, dooming Michael to then also become a squishy man. In most other films from the 80s and most pop culture, you would see a rejection of his spouse where he instead doubles down on becoming you know this supportive loving family man which yeah. could in one sense be that the filmmakers are saying you know if, if you are a man and your wife is raped and you do become protective of the child that that is created by this act it could be evil i guess they could be saying that but then also in Ooh. another way they could just be giving like a positive role model for the type of moral behavior yeah. that you know, intuitively would make sense. So, but then interestingly, you know, the fact that even though he's grown up with these loving parents and he's very understanding father and mother, he's still squishy mans. So in some sense, which is also kind of a very Lovecraftian idea that you cannot escape your heritage, that there's 
something yeah. you know inevitable that that's planted in you when you're born because lovecraft really believed i mean yeah he was like full-on eugenicist right he was like yeah yeah he, he really believed in the power of one's bloodline and certain bloodlines having certain things associated to them uh he was very much a nature person yeah. versus nurture and very much uh and and we should mention this every time we we discuss him uh, massive racist extremely xenophobic extremely racist uh, especially in his younger years apparently towards the end of his life i watched a very interesting documentary on yeah. lovecraft called i think it was fear of the unknown but towards the end of his life in correspondence he apparently became less racist and more understanding and more open towards other people that's good uh, where for a time he lived in New York City and he really abhorred living in New York City. He thought the people were sinful and disgusting and, you know, he, I think he especially didn't like Irish people and, you know, he, he was like extremely prejudiced yeah. towards pretty much everyone. <laughs> he, he's one of those super racists that like drew distinctions between different kinds of white people. Which was very common back in the day. No, absolutely. Like it, it's a more recent thing where racists think that all white people are the same. Where maybe 50 years ago, there were clear distinctions in what your European heritage was and values yeah, yeah. attached to what that means for you on, on the pyramid of... The, the hierarchy. The... Yeah, the hierarchy of whiteness. That this is a triangle. Yeah, definitely. I, I'm making a triangle with my hands for the listeners. They can't see yeah, it. Yeah, he's but... making. Just so everybody knows, it's he's making the Illuminati sign. Uh, I'm gonna put it in a YouTube video and draw a little red circle around it so everyone can can see what's happening. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I might be a shill. Might be. That's fine, man. I can neither confirm nor deny that I am the whole entire Illuminati. And I I'm glad you don't because that would just ruin our whole our whole setup over here i can also neither confirm nor deny that canis radio is a front for the illuminati yeah keep keep those checks coming in definitely not the illuminati <laughs> if we can read that idea of heritage a little more metaphorically that there is an historical or a social way to look at it rather than you know purely strictly genetic then that that does hold an element of truth right because the situation that you're born in the country that you're born in the the society that you're born into has a huge impact on not unnecessarily what you will do or what you will inevitably do but on on what your choices are the opportunities exactly and then also there's a part where they start discovering billy's old corpses yeah because there's Michael and Amanda go into the forest to do some macking. Oh, yeah. And um, Amanda's dog, <laughs> a very, very good boy. Oh, yeah. Uh, the good digs up the, one of the goodest boys. He digs up an arm um, and takes <laughs> it to them, like really proud of itself. It's hilarious because Amanda is under Michael and she sees the arm and starts screaming. But Michael doesn't get off her. So she's just like trapped looking at this arm hovering above her. It was a very interesting visual metaphor for her whole existence in the film, though, because she's always trapped yeah. underneath an oppressive guy. Uh, like with her dad, he yeah, yeah, yeah. beats her. He, like they, they really did a good job of portraying the classic abusive cycle where he would hit her 
and then immediately physically comfort her and sort of trap her in an embrace. Yeah, like, I'm so sorry, baby. Uh, and apologize profusely. Yeah, definitely. And then again, also later when Michael is trying to get her to leave, she's like, dude, why are you acting all crazy? I don't know. And then he like yeah. shakes her and she cuts her finger. And it's like she can never escape the abuse coming towards her from the men in her life. But so, yeah, they fi find the arm. And obviously that's a little sus. So the police come out and they start digging. They're like, wow, body on body on body on body. It's crazy. We're up to, I think the number they mention is like 36 or something. Yeah, the same number as tomatoes in a bottle of old gold tomato sauce in South Africa. Okay, so there might be a conspiracy. Oh, definitely. There might be, there might be something there. <laughs> but so uh, they find all these bodies and hey. Uh, someone asks the chef, like, what, 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 what happened? What's the, what's the story? And some of the options that he mentions are like Indian burial ground or civil war, common grave, yeah, that kind of thing. And and that stood out to me as somehow just pointing to the history of violence in America and specifically in in Mississippi. Yeah, and how that violence, you know, keeps coming back up. You know, the bodies keep washing up, in a sense. They can never wash the blood off their hands. Exactly. And we find out that it was Squishy Man's doing, but Squishy Man might then also kind of stand in for that kind of cyclical violence. Yeah, well, uh, the same with Amanda's abuse from her father. It's, it's all of these cycles of violence in this film. It's, it's really, yeah. as you said, it's, it's self-referential uh, to just the, the history of violence and the amount of bodies piled on top of each other upon which that specific society is built, like many colonials, like probably all colonial societies, yeah. are just built on layers yeah, definitely. of... Definitely. layers and layers of bodies and, and and atrocities. And also, as we know, now we've got a rise in fascism. Again, that's another cycle that we're going through as yeah. global society at large is going through another development yeah. of extreme views. You know, we're, we're kind of seeing that, yeah. that sort of start spilling out with the new uh, white supremacist uh, terrorism happening now. Yeah, and it is almost like, like you use the metaphor of the cicadas, where this is outburst and then it seems quiet for a while, but all the while underneath the surface, those larvae are breeding and brewing and working up their powers to, you know, create another big outburst of violence. Is Squishy Man a, a Nazi? <laughs> is that, um, is I wouldn't that say the that, thing? I wouldn't say that Squishy Man is necessarily representative of a single ideology, more of the, the no, 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 sure. concept of human barbarism laid bare. Yeah. Where um, while he's in the guise of Michael, he's sort of wearing a mask and he, he's got the skin and outwardly he appears to be a normal person. But then yeah. at one point at the peak, because this happens over the course of three nights, at the peak of his rampage, he literally sheds his skin, revealing his true form and the true nature of his being. And that's the same way, you know, you get this yeah. insidious build up of violence and, and this stoking of the hate furnace 
that happens in yeah. small little echo chambers that grows bigger and bigger and then eventually it spills out in, into the real world and we all, it's laid bare like everyone can see how awful the outcomes are during the first murders while while they're just investigating those murders you know no one would suspect poor innocent sick michael of doing any of these things yeah who do they suspect do they have any suspects or they're just like completely baffled it's the same as um the excuse that they give michael's mother caroline uh when she goes to look for the identity of her rapist to figure out sort of what's going on with her son uh, find some sort of a genetic sample or something that they can use to diagnose maybe the disease that michael has they tell her that no the ident the killer was never identified the rapist was never identified it's a mystery until today and i guess it will always be a mystery uh, they they kind of handle these this new batch of killings in the same way where it's not being investigated the police are cleaning it up they do suspect the mortician yeah. Dexter Ward uh, but that's the closest they come to investigation. TBH, he is a huge creeper. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, look, I'm sure we've got listeners. Among our millions of listeners, we do have people working in a mortuary. No, I'm not sure. saying they're all creepers, but it does no, take a certain not. type of person to want to wash a dead person's genitalia. You either need to have a really strong stomach or something else. Oh, something else. Because Dexter Ward, he's in the mortuary doing his mortuary things, and he hears someone's there, and he thinks it's a teenager breaking into the morgue, trying to mess Pranking with him, him, which I really hope teenagers are not doing that, because why? Ugh. He's, like, looking for this teenager, and he checks under the sheets that are covering some of the bodies, and the thing that essentially gets him killed is the fact that he stops to leer at a dead woman's breasts. Yeah. A little... <laughs> yeah, that <And> classic, <laughs> classic grossness. Exactly. And then Michael jumps out and stabs him with, with an embalming hose, I guess. And embalms him alive. And just like, embalmed him alive! Oh! Which is rough. That must not be great. No, it's probably not a fun way to die. Probably up there with other bad ways of dying. No, but I mean, <laughs> like it, it, <laughs> it is a stereotype, yep. though, of a creeper working in a mortuary where I think, true. you know, most people working in a mortuary have a very, a very neutral relationship to the bodies that they're working with. They're probably, you know, slightly... Yeah, detached you know they're they're respectful you know it's not like in being sexually aroused by a naked dead person probably <laughs> they detach that concept from the corpses i would assume yeah. i don't know uh if any of our listeners do work in a mortuary please tweet at us and let us know yo fraser you, you're fucking crazy yeah. We love corpses. No, I'm sure for most morticians, it's a job, you know, like, like most other jobs. Yeah, and I mean, the science of decomposition and whatever, that's fascinating. I can understand that they would be fascinated uh, with their work. I'm sure there are podcasters <laughs> who have a sort of deviant um, relationship with hearing their own voice or, I don't know, editing audio or something. I do. Not me. I you, do. Yeah, okay. 
Well, there we go. I'm sick. I'm a sick, Case sick closed. Man. <laughs> I'm pretty much spent on this film, but like because it's so subtle and and there's so much in it, so many references. It's actually quite a deeply connected film and a pretty well thought out story. You know, even though the film itself is quite slow, and that's also something on the on the web, a lot of critics were complaining about, yeah, it's slow and it sort of goes nowhere. And they said the only saving graces were the creature effects, which I agree the creature effects were pretty good, but those are good. Those are lacking good. in places, like especially the scene where we've got the crazy snake tongue with Michael. Oh, where you, sure. can, <laughs> you can see that the head is just a prosthetic and the sort of latex flaps of the yeah. skin show. <laughs> the flaps. To me, it was a good film. Like, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed yeah. being able to read so much into it. It's not going to win any awards, though. No, and we know that because it didn't. But I think, yeah, I think you've, 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 you've brought me around on this one through our discussion of the cycle of violence. I think that makes, makes it for me. Do you have a flash for, for this week? I do, I do, I do. Okay. Please flash. Here we go. I'm going to flash you. Um, right. There's someone credited in the opening credits called Luke Askew. All right. I don't know if you noticed that, but I just thought that was funny. Clearly a pseudonym and Luke Askew being, you know, a way of, of investigating the world from a different angle, seeing, seeing different oh. things in the world. I didn't know this. Pretty clever. Oh, favorite line? You boys always dropping things. Guess you play with yourselves too much. The newspaper dude. Uh, the the editor who gets killed while he's trying to make hamburger. Also, he's like hilarious. Loki hitting on Michael and yeah, it's weird. And that's it for my flash, I think. Hmm. Yes. That's a good flash. Hmm. That's a good mantra. Hmm. Uh, so, Louis, if you had to rate this film out of one to seventeen years spent hibernating underground before you crawl out from the earth in your in your nymph form to then mature mm. fully into an adult state and for three to six weeks mm. wreak havoc upon the world how many years would you spend hibernating underground for this film? i would i'd give this film a good nine years just above 50 percent. that's nice that's so, it's solid um, it's a pass yeah, I feel like I brought you, I, I may have lifted that score a bit with our discussion, so I am yeah, yeah, yeah. well pleased. I would give it 13 years. Good score. Mm. Not perfect, though. Uh, you know, it does, of course, it has its flaws, but don't we all? It's a very magnanimous way of looking at films that you have, Fraser. Mm. Uh, oh, yeah. But I guess it's, it's that magnanim magnanimity? Magnolia. Mag magnanimity? That, that lies at the heart yeah. of the B positive mission. That's what we're all about. Being spooky, pedantic, and magnanimous. <laughs> cool, man. Yeah, I've, I've had a lot of fun on this episode. Everybody, go ahead and follow us at StayScary on Twitter. Um, we're pretty active there. And yeah, we love yeah, hearing we're from very you guys. chatty. We are very responsive. And also, we've got the Facebook group that's for sharing memes and just you know, random discussion, have a good yeah. time. And then, please remember to uh, give us a five-star rating, please. Thank you. And Do subscribe it. to hear more podcasts. 
tell your people about us. Be like, hey, this is the best new podcast. Or whatever you think of us, you could also you say. Know, yeah, you can be honest. That's fine. We can take it. But you have to be positive. But do still recommend it. Uh, and then next time on Be Positive. Mm. In the tradition of never cry werewolf, we are watching uh, okay. Eyes of the Werewolf. Uh, <laughs> wait, uh, is, is it October already? <laughs> no, it's just... What's all right, this is The story about this is I put it up in October because I was like, this is a gem and we need to yeah. torture ourselves by watching it. And then... Um, oh, great. The, the random numbers chose it for us. So. Really? Okay, so this is this is not your intervention. This is this is the stars. No, this is the stars telling us that number 85, Eyes of the Werewolf, needs to be watched. Now. Okay, great. I'm sure and it's, sure it's going to be a real journey. No, please don't say that already. Check out the trailer <laughs> and then you'll know why. Uh, I also like to oh, the listeners, boy. please watch this movie. It's going to be a thing. It's going to be a thing. We're going to talk about it. <laughs> the whole thing. <laughs> it's a whole thing. Yeah, man. And then, as always, you stay scary. It's spooky that the insects are so loud. It's very good ambiance for a horror film. Mm. Spooky ins- insects. Damn. Uh, I have been Louis. I will and now cease to be Louis. Until next time. All right. So you only exist in the podcast? Exactly. Exactly. All right. Fair enough. I will now go continue being crazy. I've been in the podcast all along. Oh, great. Uh Oh, (laughs) the real Louis was inside you all along. Uh, that makes me uncomfortable, and I'm Louis. You gotta speak from the heart, or something. I don't know. (laughs) I feel like we're going off the rails. Well, luckily we're at the end. We're at the part where we do. (laughs) 